Hello everyone, it's Craig here from Branch Arts. Right now, in our community, there are people who do not know where their next meal is going to come from. We have an opportunity as a church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Branch Arts is a ministry of the church where we reach out with truth and love. Our campaign right now called Christmas Cheer is trying to raise money that we can buy food parcels and distribute it to those in our community who are vulnerable right now. The elderly, the disabled, child-headed households, those who are really struggling just with their basic necessities. Won't you consider being generous with us? We're asking for financial donations because of wanting to be safe during this time and season, we can make such a difference in someone's life by making a financial contribution into the Riverside Church's bank account using the reference branch arts. Thank you for being the love and truth of Jesus into those people's lives who need it most. So welcome to the final stretch of 2020. And I don't need to tell you what a crazy year this year has been. One of the images that has stuck in my mind's eye as I think about 2020 is the image of, and I've seen this once actually happen to someone, the image of a car that's lost control, has gone straight through the boundary wall, and is kind of halfway in your lounge. Right? And here we are, we had the best plans for 2020. And then March came along, this out of control car, and penetrated all of our great plans. And yes, the whole house hasn't fallen down. We've still got something standing. The kitchen's still there. Some of the bedrooms are still there. But here you and I are standing at the end of the year with our hands on our heads, trying to come to terms with the loss that this year has meant for us. Now, during the course of this year, we've tried to shepherd you through this. So many passages in the Sermon on the Mount were so insightful for us as a church. Then we did the series, The Toolbox for Tough Times, where we try to give you the necessary tools in order to deal with the loss and the tragedy and the destruction that we have experienced personally in different ways. But not only has it been a personal loss, not only as we survey the damage that 2020 has caused, is it at the personal family level. If we had to take a few steps backwards and look at the bigger picture, I think you and I would agree that even if we look at what's happening politically, we are also looking at a very destructive time. Whether we're talking about some of the corruption and whatever your opinions are of the leadership that's currently happening in our nation, or whether you look at the United States, whether you're red or blue, whether you look at Europe or Australia, it seems like there is not a stable political system in the world at the moment. And then we can also look at the eco economics. It's not only about your bank account, but when we try and wrap our mind around what has happened in 2020 and how is that affecting the economy of our nation. We've just heard how Branch Arts had to react rapidly and respond to the increased need in our community. But then we look at the economy in foreign nations, again, all over the world, and we realize that this car has broken through the perimeter wall and the buildings of our entire planet. 
Now, we're starting a new series leading up to Christmas, and maybe you're thinking or hoping that this series will be a necessary, well-needed distraction from the chaos of 2020. And maybe Christmas will help you get your minds off the chaos of 2020. But here's my prayer. My prayer is as we engage in this series going towards Christmas, that it is not a distraction from the chaos, but it is something that equips you for the chaos. That it is something that transforms how you see. We've just heard about God's sovereignty over and above chaos. That the messages that we bring from God's word and that Christmas itself changes how we see this damage and the hope that we have and the perspective that we have because our eyes are raised to a far greater reality. So that is my prayer for us as we go into the series and go into Christmas. In this series, we are going to be studying two verses for four weeks. Two verses for four weeks. Yes, we preachers love doing stuff like that. All right, so if you have your Bibles here, please won't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. As you're turning there, when we read these verses, they're going to sound familiar. Almost every Christmas carol, Christmas song is going to have some aspect of these verses in the song. But I'm hoping that as we study these verses, which are written 200 years before Christ, that they do exactly this work in our lives. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 67. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So you know that what we love doing is providing some context, and sometimes that means a history lesson. So please don't do what I used to do in history in high school, and that is to use this as an opportunity to nod off, all right? Allow this to build your imagination. Isaiah was writing 700 years before Christ, and he was being used by God to speak to the Jewish rulers of that time. And Isaiah primarily had a twofold message, a message of judgment and a message of hope. A message of judgment and a message of hope. But here's what you need to know about his message of judgments. No one was lining up to listen to Isaiah's podcasts. No one was lining outside of the temple to hear Isaiah. In fact, record goes to show us that people were so threatened by Isaiah's preaching about God's judgment that they put him in a log and sawed him in half. See, at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry was a king with a very similar name, so don't get these confused. His name was Uzziah. Uzziah was the king Isaiah was the prophet, and right at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry as a prophet, this king died. Now, Israel at this stage was a tiny nation surrounded by two huge military superpowers that were rapidly expanding, 
gobbling up small nations like Israel in order to enrich themselves. Kind of like two big bullies on the school field beating everybody up and taking their lunch. The one bully's name was the name Assyria and the other bully's name was the name Babylon. And Jeremiah's message of judgment was this, Israel, because of your unfaithfulness and because of your rebellion against God, God is going to allow these bullies to come in and beat you up, starting with Assyria and then going on to Babylon. Now, while King Uzziah was still king, he was a wise king, he was a good king, he was able to bring a fair amount of peace and prosperity to the nation of Israel. But when he died, suddenly any semblance of confidence in the king of Israel was gone. And suddenly Jeremiah is saying, this is what's going to happen. And you can imagine Israel, this tiny little nation, looking at these two superpowers, pounding their fists, coming their way. So that was Jeremiah's message of judgment. But he also brought them the message of hope. And the message of hope was this. Notice how this lines up with Gavin's testimony today. Isaiah was saying, listen, guys, despite your unfaithfulness, And despite what Assyria is going to do to you and what Babylon is going to do to you, and despite the fact that one of the images he uses is kind of like Israel's like this tree, that this tree is going to be cut down, that all is left is going to be a stump and not even a stump that looks like it's going to carry on living, but a burnt, charred stump. That's going to be all that's left of you. He says, from the stump, God is going to bring forth new life that despite this tragedy and the violence that is coming your way, God is not done with you. God is not done with his promises and he will continue to fulfill his promises to Israel and through Israel to bless the nations of the whole earth. And these verses that we read this morning and I'm gonna reread in a second, speak about this fact that God is not done with them and God is not done with his kingdom. And for hundreds of years after Isaiah wrote down these words, as these nations came in and plundered and destroyed the northern and southern kingdoms, they held on to these verses, knowing that God was not done, but waiting for him to fulfill this. And for the last 2,000 years, we as Christians have been celebrating how God has and continues to fulfill these verses. But now, I don't know if you can sense the fear that would have been in the people hearing this message from Isaiah. Imagine we got an announcement this week that Cyril was going to speak to us again as a nation. But not to put us back into level three lockdown, but to tell us, guys, I've got bad news for you. On the West Coast is one of the biggest nations of the world and their fleet is heading our way and they're not coming in peace. Oh, and by the way, on our East Coast is the second biggest nation in the world and they're bringing their army and they're not coming in peace either. Oh, and in case, you know, that's not bad enough. There are a couple of nuclear warheads heading our way right now. Can you imagine how you would feel as you heard that news? And now I want to ask you a question. As you try and use your imagination and insert yourself into that environment, what do you think you would conclude about God in that moment? 
surely you would conclude that God is gone. God has forgotten about you, right? God is done with you. Maybe there is not even a God. Now I want to tell you why Isaiah didn't go to that place. I want to tell you why, God, why Isaiah's feathers weren't ruffled. You see, at the beginning of his ministry, he was serving in the temple and the Spirit opened up his mind to see a vision of the true cosmic temple. And he says, my eyes have seen the Lord. He saw a throne and he saw one sitting on the throne. And this throne was above the throne of Israel. This throne was above the throne of Assyria or Babylon. This throne was the one who is truly sovereign, who is truly large and in charge. And there was someone sitting on the throne. Now you must understand, when I get nervous, I can't sit still. I'm pacing up and down. I'm needing to keep myself busy. But when I'm at peace, I can chill. This king was chilled. Despite what was coming the way of Israel, this king was seated. This king was sovereign. This king was in control. And so Isaiah got a front row seat to who is really in charge. And even though he knew these powerful nations were coming against Israel, he could trust the greater reality of the one who is truly sovereign and truly enthroned. The very next chapter in Isaiah chapter 7 tells us that God is going to come and reign in Israel again. He's going to be, he's told it to us many times in the book of Isaiah, from the line of David, literally the genetic line of David, and chapter 7 tells us this king is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So somehow, God is going to allow this to happen. And yet somehow, God is going to raise up a king from David's throne and David's line. And at the same time, it's going to be God with us, this God that Isaiah saw seated on the throne. Now, knowing all of that, let's quickly reread the verses we read earlier. For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. And the government, the authority and the kingdom are not on anyone else's shoulders, but his. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father, prince of peace. And that's for next week. Back to this week of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. This is not a kingdom like David's. It's connected to David's, but of the increase of this king's government, there is no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So as some of you are in the middle of your planning for Christmas, I want to ask you a question. What would make you feel like Christmas was ruined? Absolutely ruined. Maybe it would be seeing your wife's face when you discovered you got her the wrong gift. You never got the hints that she was dropping for you. Or maybe you're the one who got the wrong gift. Or maybe 2020 is so hard that there are simply no gifts. Maybe it's the food is a total mess up. Or maybe we get put into a lockdown and you can't spend Christmas with your family. And maybe that would ruin your Christmas. And I kind of understand that. 
But when it comes to Christmas, these verses we've just read, when it comes to the real reason we celebrate, it's got nothing to do with gifts, it's got nothing to do with food, and it's got everything to do with the fact that God is not yet done with his kingdom. And that God fulfilled these promises by putting a king on that throne in Jesus Christ from the line of David and a one who is fully God so that we can call him God with us, not only so that we can sing Christmas carols and not only so that we can have a jolly time on the 24th and the 25th, but primarily so you and I can look at the destruction of 2020 and look at the chaos in our nation or for any other nation for that matter. And we can know that God is sovereign and in control. The book of John tells us that this figure that Isaiah saw in the throne in the temple was Jesus himself. And as Jesus died for our sins and rose again, that same Jesus is sitting on that same throne. And so Christmas reminds us of that. And his kingdom is one that is going to outlast all other kingdoms. His kingdom is going to outlast the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. His kingdom is going to outlast the ANC, sorry, Jacob Zuma, or whoever else comes after him. His kingdom is going to outlast the Qing Dynasty in North Korea. Whatever is causing you trouble politically or economically, his kingdom will outlast. And Christmas is the time that refocuses our attention on that reality and changes how we see the chaos of 2020, right? So if this is what Christmas is about, especially focusing on the first half of verse 6 and the rest of verse 7, I want to give you three quick ideas to focus us on the kingdom and the government of God in the midst of all of our concerns. And the first point is this. These verses tell us that we can trust the sovereignty, the sovereignty, the power, the lordship of the government of God. Verse six says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on, if you want to bold, highlight, underline a word, his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. Now, remember earlier, I was telling you that as Isaiah was prophesying judgment over Israel, they're looking at these two mega power bullies coming their way, pounding their fists. And so they were tempted to believe what we need. You know how it is in the South? We need our cousins. We need another mega power bully to take on these two big bullies. So what Israel started doing is, well, who can be on our team? Let's look at Egypt. They've got a big army. They've got a powerful ruler. They're a powerful nation. Maybe we can take them on if we had Egypt on our side. Isaiah says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel. In other words, Isaiah is saying, listen, it is your mistrust of God. It is your rebellion against God that got you into this mess in the first place. 
Now, don't continue that trend by not trusting God to redeem and save you, but by looking to man and by looking to nations and governments and armies to save you. And so how can we apply that today? I want to say very carefully what I'm about to say is not an indictment on anyone who is or isn't thinking about emigrating or whether you should or shouldn't emigrating, but it is something to determine where your hope is lying. So maybe you look around you and you see a mess, in your opinion, in this nation. And you feel like the government of this nation has let you down, whatever that means for you. And then you survey the governments around you. And you think to yourself, oh, that government's doing an okay job and and that government's doing a better job. I think I need to go there. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But sometimes we believe that that is what's gonna save us. When what Isaiah is actually saying is, these things are gonna happen. These negative, destructive things are gonna happen to us. But you need to recognize a far greater kingdom the kingdom of God and his sovereignty over all these other nations. And you need to trust him that even if the worst happens, God is not done and that God is gonna resurrect new life out of this death. And so for us, sometimes, while many of us are fleeing to the comfortable nations of the world, some people are being called to Syria in the name of Jesus. Why would they do that? Because they believe this truth. We can trust the governments of God. Number two, we can trust in the ultimate victory of the governments of God. Look what verse seven says at the, at the beginning. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, maybe you say, Stephen, you've just told us that the governments of God and the kingdom of God and the throne of God is above all other nations, including ours and every other nation on this planet. Doesn't look like it to me. I, I would forgive you for thinking that, right? Wow, if Jesus is in charge, why is everything such a mess? Now, I don't have time to fully get into this. But the biblical narrative tells us that there was a coup d'etat. There was a spiritual coup d'etat. And then man himself rebelled against God, choosing his own way. And if we had to look at the present evils of this world, it is not laid at the feet of God. It is laid of the spiritual powers and humanity. But what Christmas tells us and the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 verses 7 is that the true king invaded the kingdoms of this world. And the true king defeated the kingdoms of this world by laying down his life, allowing himself to fully and completely die and be resurrected from the dead. And what I'm saying is, in a normal war, we're watching the news going, who's gonna win, who's gonna win, who's gonna win? But because of the reality of Christmas that Isaiah 9 is pointing forward towards, we know who wins. We know who wins. And so I wanna say to you, don't let your faith rise and fall with the nations. Yes, that will deeply affect our lives. But don't let your faith and your trust in God's sovereignty 
rise and fall with the nations. Our faith is determined by what happened on the cross and the victory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so we can trust in the ultimate victory of the government of God. And then number three, we can trust in the nature of the government of God. It says here, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and with righteousness. Some of you saw on social media that I put my favorite Christmas carol out there and it's, it's Oh Holy Night. And, and I love some of the rich theology that we get from some of these Christmas carols, but this is definitely my favorite one. And in one of the verses, it says this, truly he taught us to love one another. I'm not gonna sing for you now. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease I'm absolutely convinced that the author of this carol was thinking about Isaiah 9 verses 7 that when looking at the nature of God's kingdom he saw that it was one of righteousness and justice now here's where you and I come in Because the kingdom of God is not something that happens to us where we're just passively chilling. God comes in and does something in our lives, guarantees my tickets to heaven, and he moves out. No, the kingdom of God, the way we enter it is by trusting the king. But then the kingdom of God is a reality we live out in partnership with him. And so we anticipate the kingdom of God in prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, but what's the second part of that line? Your will be done, not as passive. Oh Lord, whatever you want, may you make it happen. I'm gonna go back to my TV. No, 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 Lord, your will. I wanna see your kingdom come here. I wanna see your will exercised in the situation. And so we anticipate it in prayer and then we participate in his kingdom in faith. And that means that when we participate in the nature of this kingdom, we are going to be beacons of righteousness and justice. It is not how we enter the kingdom, but it is how we demonstrate the kingdom as somehow we mysteriously participate with the king who is righteous and just and gives us his presence. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to bring up these three points, but with each point, I want to give you a corresponding challenge in the form of a question. And so the first point was this, that we can trust the sovereignty, the power of the government of God. And here's a question for reflection. And I do encourage you to write this down because you won't have enough time to really allow God to search your hearts now in this moment. But the question is this, Where have you placed your ultimate trust? Israel was looking to other nations. What is the equivalent in your life? As your trust of God's sovereignty is maybe being rattled by 2020. As you are trying to wrap your mind around the destruction that December 2020 has left you in. And you're starting to wonder, is God in control? Where does your heart go to find help? 
Where does your heart go to find an anchor point that is gonna give you hope? So my challenge is, where have you placed your ultimate trust? Because we need to shift that onto the sovereignty of the government of God. Number two, we can trust the ultimate victory of the government of God. So where have you placed your ultimate hope? There's nothing wrong with hoping that Christmas is a wonderful time for you and your family. But is that your ultimate hope? Is that everything that Christmas means to you? Is that everything that these songs that we sing mean to you? Or do you recognize that there's a greater reality to which all of these songs point, that even if your perfect Christmas is the furthest thing that happens to you this coming December, that we still have a hope that God is not yet done with us, and Christmas and the life, death, and resurrection is evidence of that. And then number three, we can trust in the nature of the governments of God. And so here's the question for you. Where have you placed your ultimate value? The values of the kingdom of God are righteousness and justice. And we are called to participate in that. We are called to demonstrate that. And what a wonderful time of year to live out righteousness and justice. We've got this branch out campaign, which is just one of many practical ways that we can live out the kingdom of God's government amongst us. But if you ask God to open up your eyes this coming week, you will see dozens of opportunities to display righteousness and justice so that the world sees what rulership under God actually looks like. But it all starts with us submitting to the king, trusting his way, trusting his victory, trusting what he says, and submitting ourselves to him and then living that out in December 2020. So Father, we thank you that we can talk about hope at Christmas time in such a cliched way that it doesn't change us at all. Or we can look at the truth of the claims of the king who came to serve and save us. And we can have a real and certain hope. And we can trust your government. And we can value your kingdom. And we can have a genuine hope despite present difficulties. And so Jesus, as the one who is truly enthroned, we choose to trust you right now, not passively, actively. We choose to deny the other places we've trusted and gone to for help, and we come to you and we trust you and we declare that. We choose to trust your sovereignty. Trust your kingdom, trust your promises, and trust the nature of your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, as we look at the King, would you carve out your kingdom in our hearts and grow it within us so that it overflows to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.